High school, how are we feeling? That sounded like you started school this week. Who started school this week? Okay, wait, wait, who starts tomorrow? Oh, good. Oh, I'm so, yeah, there you go, little Ingram. Who started yesterday? I know Pine Creek, I think, started yesterday. Oh, I'm, it, it's, it, it, it gets better. This, this two shall pass. Hey, if you got your Bibles, Exodus chapter three, I want you to turn there. Exodus chapter three. I'm going to kind of story tell where we are up to this moment, and then we're going to get rocking and rolling. If you're joining us for the first time this school year, okay, we launched last week. We're going to enter into the book of Exodus over the next seven, eight weeks. If you don't know where Exodus is, you're going to go to the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible, and it's the second book into the Bible. Now, what we established last week was that God hears. Everyone say, God hears. God gave you ears on your head, and you are made in the image of God, which means you have the ability to hear because God first hears. He hears, and so what we have in Exodus 1 and 2 is we have the people of Israel. They got brought to Egypt. They multiplied in Egypt, and they became a great nation. And over the course of 400 years, okay, a pharaoh died off, and a new pharaoh came, and he looked across his nation, and he saw this kind of sojourning nation, and he said, this isn't good. The Israelites are bigger than my people. So what he did is he enslaved them. And over the course of 400 years, or after 400 years, the people of Israel began to cry out. And as we see at the end of Exodus 2, their cries rose to the Lord, God heard and God knew. But if you, can, if you read Exodus 1 and 2, you actually kind of see a picture set up for us in this character that we actually hear about a lot in Christianity, and his name is Moses. Everyone say Moses. Moses. Can I get a couple leaders to close the two back doors back there? That would be awesome. Um, this man named Moses. Now, I could story tell Moses. Most of you might know the, the story of Moses if you watch this awesome movie called The Prince of Egypt. Anybody in here seen The Prince of Egypt? Yeah, like some of like the best music like ever coming from this movie. And actually like of all of like like the, 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 the cinema that's come out like on, on different like biblical history, Prince of Egypt is actually like one of the closest to like almost nailing it, exactly. But what you have, okay, is, is Pharaoh's looking across his nation. He sees the Israelites multiplying. And so he looks at his people and he says, this is what I want you to do. If the Hebrew women begin to give birth to a Hebrew boy, I want you to just go ahead and kill the boy. Okay, because we do not want this nation continuing to multiply. And so what we have is we have this, this Hebrew woman. Okay, she's the, she's the wife of a Levite. And she has this little baby and his name is Moses. And so she keeps him hidden for several months. But then it gets to the point where she can't hide him anymore. And so she puts him in a little basket in the Nile. And then like floats him down the Nile. And if you actually read Exodus, this is like the, like the most legendary Hebrew con you've ever seen in like scripture floats him down the Nile then all of a sudden this child comes across the daughter of Pharaoh so the daughter of Pharaoh takes this little Hebrew boy and Moses's sister sees that that Pharaoh's daughter takes this Hebrew boy and she says hey would you like me to get a Hebrew woman to nurse him and the, the Pharaoh's daughter says yeah so she goes and gets Moses's mom and Moses's mom nurses Moses. So we kind of think like, oh, he had no relationship with his mom. No, like he continued to have relationship with his mom and he gets raised in the house of Pharaoh. 
as an Egyptian, even though he's a Hebrew. And as we see the story progress, what happens in Exodus chapter 2 is, is Moses is kind of wandering one of the days as an adult, and he sees an Egyptian treating an Israelite slave harshly. And so he goes and he confronts the Egyptian, and he ends up killing the, Egypt, the Egyptian. This is so intense, but like we just kind of talk about it. Like he kills the Egyptian, and out of fear of Pharaoh, he flees to the land of Midian. And he becomes a shepherd there. And his father-in-law, a man named Jethro, he begins to shepherd his flock. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, I want you to follow me. If you don't, go ahead and check out the screen. Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to read 15 verses, so bear with me. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to mark this moment. This is God making a promise that he's gonna take the people of Israel and he's gonna take them to a better land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Continue here. To the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Everyone say, who am I? I love this moment because oftentimes we kind of read the Bible and we talk about these like figures like Moses is the one who like God gave the 10 commandments to. He's like this like legend in the Bible and yet like the first encounter Moses had, has with God, he's like, I'm so not the guy for you to utilize. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, note that there, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name 
forever. And thus I am remembered, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. I pray that your presence, that your presence would be rich among us tonight as it already has been as we have worshiped you. Holy Spirit, I pray that in this brief time you would come and you would speak. You would transform us yet a little more into the image of your son, that where there is hopelessness tonight, you would bring hope. Where there is fear tonight, you would bring faith. Where there is timidity and anxiety tonight, I pray you would bring confidence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and have your way. I pray that our time would be concise, it would be clear, and that you would speak. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And if you're with me tonight, can you say amen? Amen. Three things that I wanna hone in on with this passage and I wanna try to be concise with it. What we have in this moment, Moses taking his father-in-law Jethro's flock, he goes to the mountain of Horeb, also known the mountain of God, and he sees this bush that's burning and yet is not consumed. And so he turns aside to look at the bush. And when God sees that he turned aside, he calls to him and says, Moses, Moses. And he says, take off your shoes. Where you're standing is holy ground. And he begins to tell him who he is because all he sees is a burning bush. I mean, that would be weird if this plant started talking to you that was burning, but yet it was not consumed. And he hears that the one who's talking to him is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And this God begins to speak to him and says, you know that that nation Israel that you saw being oppressed when you grew up, I've heard their cry and it's time for me to answer them and here's how I'm going to answer them. I'm going to send you. You're gonna go back and you are going to take my people and you're gonna bring them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And Moses responds, who am I? Why would you ask me to do this and God immediately shifts his focus off himself he goes this isn't about who you are this is about who I am as your God and so he says if I go to the people of Israel and they ask me who is the God that is sending you what shall I say to them now hear me this is why this is important because for 400 years Israel has grown up in Egypt and so what that means is they have become accustomed to Egypt's way of life in other words Egypt's belief system. And so the way Egypt functioned was that they had a God of many things. They had a God over the sun. They had a God over the moon. They had a God over fertility. They had a God over the harvest. They had a God over kind of individual things. And so when Moses is asking this, he he understands what Israel's gonna think. He says, okay, what are you over? Like as a God, what are you over? How, How can I give them context for what you are over? And God gives him a, Two responses. He begins with saying, I want you to tell them I am who I am. He doesn't start with giving Moses his name. He starts here in verse 14. Can we put verse 14 back up on the screen? He said to Moses, I am who I am. He answers with his being. 
If you could translate this in the Hebrew, one way to translate it would be, I be who I be. Like that's the way that like God is talking to Moses. I be who I be. I get like, like so what he's saying here, a translation for you, is I am the God who was and is and is to come. In other words, I am not the God over just one thing. I am the God over all things. I am the God over all, thing, all things. I am who I am. Now here's the thing. I'm gonna, for the next eight minutes, 10 minutes, I'm gonna get theological on you. Is that okay? Theological on you. Six things, six kind of simple points. And I'm not gonna give you up them to write. You're just gonna have to like bear with me. If you wanna take notes on what I'm saying, take notes on what I'm saying. This is what he means by saying I am who I am. This is, this is kind of like what he means by his essence. It means that God is absolute. And by God being absolute, it means that his absolute being means that he never had a beginning and he never had an end. Are you with me? You're gonna have times maybe when you're a parent, okay? And you're parenting a child and you're trying to teach your child about God and you're telling your child how God created the world. He created the universe and the sun, the moon, the stars and all of those sorts of things. And then your child might ask this very logical question, but mom, but dad, who created God? And the answer is no one. God wasn't created. He was simply there. He has no beginning. He has no end. He was there before anything that ever existed was there. And he will be there after anything that ever existed will be there. He is simply there. And as we get lean into this evening, I want to give you the God statement for tonight. Our God statement for this evening, what we see from this text is God is permanent. Everyone say God is permanent. Now this is interesting because when we hear that word permanent, we have a lot of things come to mind, right? Like the first thing that comes to mind when I hear the word permanent is a Sharpie. You are welcome, Asha. I got you, right? Like, like when I was a kid, I was a baby. I was a baby. Like and I, I could do nothing. I just sat and I existed. Right, like that's all babies do is they sit and they existed. And the Lord blessed me with the sanctification tool of two older sisters. He, he's like, my, my way of making you more holy is going to be to give you two older sisters. And when I was a baby, we were living in Oklahoma, like at the time, and my parents, they saw my sister running around the house as a two-year-old with a Sharpie, with the cap off. And she had like all of the joy in the world, like, like just, you know, you're two, you have no idea. It's like, it's like you're just kind of like doing your thing. And so my parents freaked out and they begin to look all over the house of like, they're looking all over the walls and they're looking on like the toilet and they're looking like, like where, where was she marking? And they found nothing. And they were like, this is like parenting win of the day. She had a capless Sharpie and nothing is marked up in the house except for their four-month-old baby son, <laughs> just Sharpie all over my face and head. And my just sister thought it was a delight to mark me up. I mean, that's the time to do that to your sibling when you like won't be held accountable for it, right? Like, but this is like what you think, we like think permanent and like it's not permanent because obviously I'm not standing before you with marks all over my face and head today. But this is like what we think of like permanent, something that's stuck, 
something that's going to be there permanently, like forever. It's not going anywhere. In other words, what I want to suggest to you this evening that is we read this text and as we hear about God's essence and as we're going to talk about his absolute being, what this is telling us when God says, I am who I am, he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. I was here before you. I am here with you. And I will be here after you. He is permanent. His absolute being means he never had a beginning and he never had an end. His absolute being means that he is utterly independent. In other words, God doesn't rely on anything to exist. He is self-sufficient in and of himself. You woke up this morning and you needed oxygen to fill your lungs, to open your eyes and see the world around you. Likely you needed food in your belly to get up and like function throughout your day. You needed water to drink. You need like gravity to be at the perfect amount for you to get up and like walk on this earth. We are dependent beings, brothers and sisters. God is not. He needs nothing to exist. He is utterly sufficient in and of himself. And so this is what that does mean. It means that anything that is not God is dependent on God. Are you with me? It means that if you are not God, you are dependent on God. The very air you breathe is a gift from him. The very food in your belly is a gift from him. The very ability to see is a gift from him. The rocks that are like sitting on Pike's Peak out there exist and depend on him. Anything that is not God depends on God. This is a big, big, big deal. He does not have a beginning. He does not have an end. He's utterly independent and everything else is utterly dependent upon him. Let me give you a couple more. His absolute being means that he is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. This is a big deal. Pay attention. It's not just that God is going to be there before you or was there before you. It's not just that God is there with you. And it's not just that God will be there after you. It means that his goodness and his perfection from before you is the goodness and perfection that is with you. And his goodness and perfection will be there after you. His character and his nature does not change. And then I'll take it a step further. His goodness, his character, his love, his holiness, his perfection is as ultimate as it gets. In other words, you can't improve what is already perfect. Are you with me? There's no like, let's be holy and then get holier with God. He is the standard. Like, like he is 100%. There's no adding to him. There's no adding to him. You can't take away from God. He is the standard of absolute truth, beauty, and goodness. And so this is what that means. It means that God's absolute being and who he is means that, hear me, he is the only one from the beginning of time into the end of time and for your entire life 
who is ever worthy of your highest praise, your highest admiration, your highest affection, your utmost devotion. Are you with me? He's the only one who's worthy of it. No one else is worthy of that because no one else is ultimate. No one else is perfect. Now, does that mean that you can't love people, that you can't care for people? No, absolutely not. That's not what, that's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying here is that nobody is worthy of your highest affection, your utmost devotion, your utmost love, care, and affection than God himself. Anybody or anything that you would love or care for more than God, by biblical definition, would be an idol. Are you with me? Something that you would worship other than God. And so this is what God is gifting at, getting after. Pay attention. When Moses says, when they ask me, who is sending you to us? Like, like, who is this God that you are talking about? God saying, I want you to tell them that I am the God who does not have a beginning and I do not have an end. I am the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I am the God who is utterly independent. I don't depend on anything. And you, you're dependent on me. I am the God who stands over all things. The God who was and is and is to come. I am who I am, or I be who I be. This is really important because if you are going to be invited by a God to escape slavery, to defy a nation that has like oppressed you for 400 years, you likely will want to have some ounce of confidence. Some ounce of confidence that the one who has told you to leave actually has the power to help you leave. Are you with me? But this is important for not just Israel, but for you and me. Because here's the thing. God has asked every single person in this room to do something that's impossible in and of our own strength. He's asked us to follow him. And here's the thing. It's like, this is like fun to talk about at church until you're at school tomorrow. And you're faced with a moment where you know the Lord is asking you to do something. You know the Lord is asking you to walk in something. When, when you have an opportunity to, to make a joke, when you have an opportunity to enter into a relationship, when you have an opportunity to look at that thing, when you, when you have all of those moments where it's like, oh yeah, like this is like what you do at school and you, you hear those words from Jesus, follow me. And all of a sudden, what felt like possible at church becomes impossible out in the world, right? And the question is like, what confidence will you have that God's gonna give you the ability to do what you're going to do? I want you to think back to this moment in Exodus 3 when Moses said, who am I? Why would you do this with me? And then here's the thing. He answers with his essence, and then he gives him his name. Verse 15, can we put verse 15 up on the screen? It says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. This is why this is significant. He's not saying like Lord, like the one who is just like simply over you. Anytime you read the, the Old Testament and you see the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, what the, the author is referring to is the name of God. The closest thing that we have to like verbal translation would be like Yahovah. It's where we get Yahweh from, the name 
of God. And so what he's saying is when you, when you utilize this name, when this name is the one that's calling you to do something, when this name is the one that's inviting you to go talk to a king, to free a nation out of slavery, this is the name that I want you to do it in. This is the name that I want you to give, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who was and is and is to come. And then he says, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered among all generations, God's name, brothers and sisters. I am who I am can be summed up in Yahovah. Closest thing we have, Yahweh. God gives his essence, he gives his name. But you know the beautiful thing about this passage, in light of that, is he gives this promise to Moses when he asked Moses to do something. Go back to verse 11 and 12. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said these words, I will be with you. I want you to think about that. I will be with you. Can I get the worship team to come back up? I'm moving fast tonight. I want you to think about these words. Like, think about Pharaoh's life. Raised in Egypt, murdered an Egyptian, fled with his, for his life, and now he's in a moment in his life where God's saying, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. Can you think about the fear that would like well up in Moses' heart? I mean, for all he knows, he's gonna go back and he's just gonna die. He's just gonna die. Like he's, he's gonna be held accountable for his crimes. So Moses goes like, who am I? Like I'm, I'm a human being who's committed murder and now simply I am a shepherd. Like this is the life that I'm living. Who am I? Why would you ask me, me to be your point person to deliver a nation. Like, what confidence would you have in me, God, for me to get this done? And do, you, do, you, do you realize what God is saying? Is he saying, Moses, I have 0% confidence in you. Zero. But I have 100% confidence in myself. I will be with you. Don't you understand? Don't you understand that it doesn't matter who you're going back to? Don't you understand that, that Pharaoh, his power, his authority, his say over your life does not usurp my power, my authority, my say over your life? Don't you understand that the God who is over all things is with you? Go. You are the one I'm gonna use to deliver this nation. Moses goes, like, you don't understand. I don't know how to speak. I mean, do me a favor. When you go home tonight, read Exodus 4. Moses is like, what, what will I do? And God says, here, take your staff. Hold it out. And he takes it and he holds it out and he drops it on the ground and it turns to a serpent. And you know what Moses does? He runs. He runs from the snake, like right in the presence of God. And it's like, God, why would you choose such a sissy.
And then I look at my own life and I go, God, why would you choose such a sissy? (laughs) Hear me, brothers and sisters. If for whatever reason you've been under the impression that God delights in calling those who are strong, you are not reading the same Bible that I'm reading. This passage has nothing to do with Moses and everything to do with God. He's permanent. He's not going anywhere. He's the same yesterday, today, forevermore. And in light of that confidence, he says, look, I'm the God over all things, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I, that God, I will be with you. You know, the cool thing is this isn't the only moment in scripture God says that. Joshua 1.5. Joshua, he's the next leader that God has chosen <laughs> to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And Joshua, afraid to take on this mantle, to take on this responsibility. Look what God says to Joshua. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, what? So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Like we're watching the God of the Old Testament not abandon his people. But you ready to see this get more exciting? Fast forward to the New Testament, Matthew 1, 23. We have this moment where Matthew is talking about he, we, we have the angel of the Lord who came to Mary and he said, behold, you're gonna give birth to a son. The son is going to be the Messiah, the savior of the world, the one in whom Israel has waited for. And so Mary finds out she's pregnant. She goes to tell her husband, Joseph, and Joseph's not been with her. And so trying to be an honorable man, he says, I'm gonna divorce you quietly. And he goes to bed and an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and begins to speak to Joseph. And he says to Joseph these words, these are from the, pro- the, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah seven. He says, behold, the virgin, your wife Mary, she shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? You know what that means? God with us. So what we have, the angel of the Lord saying here in the New Testament is look, There's this boy, this man, who's coming through your wife, and he is the incarnation of the living God. Like, you need to to realize the gravity of the moment. Like, Joseph is is a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. He knows the story of Exodus 3. He knows the story of God saying, I am who I am. This God, the God who was and is and is to come. He's coming in the form of Joseph's son. But this isn't the last time we hear God say these words in scripture. Go to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus looking at his followers right as he's about to ascend into heaven. After he has come been beaten, been crucified, 
he raised again and he looked at his followers and he says, look, I want you to go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold what? 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 I am with you always to the end of the age. You know what you can translate that word always to? Permanently. The God of the universe looking at his people, looking at his followers and he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. I am with you. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your own brokenness. Get your, get your eyes off your own frailty. And look at me. That's why the author of Hebrews says, we have to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Why? Why? Because the second we start looking at ourselves, we just see sissies. It's like the, that's like the most theological way I could say it. Like the second we start looking at ourselves, what we're looking at is people who are incapable. Incapable of being God. But the gift of the gospel, the gift of the gospel, hear me brothers and sisters, is that God is with us. Can you bow your heads? Let's bring down the lights, Grady. I want you to think just for a second. Use your imaginations with me just for a second. Eyes bowed. Don't talk to your neighbor if you can. There's two people in here, two types of people in here. Those who have a relationship with God, you submitted your lives to him and you've responded to those two simple words, follow me, that Jesus gives. And there are those in here who have not. Maybe you're here this evening because a friend invited, invited you. You're here this evening because you wanted to hang. I don't know. But either camp that you're in, I want you to keep your head bowed. If you're able, I want you to picture the face of Jesus. Picture the face of Jesus. And he's looking you dead in the eyes. And it's that type of look that like looks right into your soul, you know? Like some people just have that ability that you feel like they're just seeing straight through you and he's just looking at you. Knowing everything you've done in your life knowing everywhere that you have fallen short, knowing how weak, how broken, how frail you are, and looking you dead in the eyes, in light of knowing all of it, he still says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me, trust me, I got you, I got you. As you enter into this school year, 
He's, I got you. There's so many, there's so many things. Well, what is this year gonna be like? What's gonna happen? It's like, Lord, you don't like, like you don't know the fear that I wrestle with day by day. I want you to hear these words in light of all of those obstacles. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're going to school tomorrow, I'm with you. You lay your head down to sleep, I'm with you. You get up, you go overseas. You get up, you go into it's to, to the education arena. You go, you go into the military. It doesn't matter where you're at. I'm with you. I'm with you. And hear me. I am who I am. I'm over all of it. I'm in control of all of it. Nothing has more power than me. I'm with you. I'm with you. Permanently. And I think, I think the invitation for us brothers and sisters here this evening is simply to confess that we haven't believed that. That we've done our own thing. And the invitation of the gospel is to return to this message that God is with us and he's for us. So before we respond in worship, can I have you stand with me? We haven't done this in a while. I kind of want to bring it back and, and do it again. There is a, there's a prayer that the church would pray together, intentionally together, as a means of confession to the Lord and to return back to the God who was and is and is to come. And so in faith, what I wanna invite you to do this evening before we head into worship is to pray this prayer with me in light of a God who is permanently with us. So that being said, can we put this prayer on the screen? And if you want to, if you have the faith to, can you read this with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. We may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Brothers and sisters, let's respond in worship.